the one thing I've learned about adversity is it's not something that you're you're supposed to avoid or try to get over or under. It, you, you go through it to become who you're, who, who God needs you to be. And you go th through it to become who you were meant to be. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today is an author, entrepreneur, adventurer, speaker, and trainer. He's a co-founder of Yoli, a health and wellness company in Washington State in the United States. His best-selling book, How to Select a Network Marketing Company, has sold over 50,000 copies in seven countries and three languages. He is also a husband and a father. I'm pleased to present Darren Falter. Darren, are you ready to share your story of hope? I'm ready. I'm here. And, and my company, Yoli, is actually in Salt Lake City. I'm in Washington. Yeah, That's so what it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, when I started my company, I told my partners, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, fly in, I'll commute here for a while, but I'm not leaving the Pacific Northwest because uh, this is my home. I, I love it here. I won't leave my mountains. <laughs> That's awesome. So Darren and I met a number of years ago at a premier author training with author Richard Paul Evans, and we became quick friends, and we've seen each other at numerous author trainings since then, but we've just developed a friendship, and I thought it was time that I brought Darren on the show because he has such an incredible story of hope. Now, Darren, you had an experience early in your marriage that seemed to set the tone for what you wanted to do with your life. Would you mind sharing with us that story and why it changed you and impacted you the way it did? When I was uh, first, when, when I was a young husband, my, my nephew, uh, who I'd spent a lot of time with riding horses and having, you know, doing bedtime stories, he was about uh, seven or eight years old. He uh, was playing with his father uh, with the horses and he had his hand tied up in the lead rope and the horse spooked oh, no. and drug him underneath. And he went for uh, quite a long ways. And by the time his father got him, he was badly, badly, badly. His body was badly damaged. And he held, he held his son while he, he took his last breath. Oh. And um, I was a young father. I had twin daughters that were just like two years old had to stay home. You know, we didn't have any money, didn't have money for travel, didn't have money for, for, you know, really living. We were barely making it as it was. This was my, my wife's side of the family. So she decided, okay, we're just going to take a credit card, put a plane ticket on there, and she's going to go to Utah and, and be with the family. So she did that. And she spent, you know, it was a beautiful experience. It was very spiritual. It was very moving, but she got her closure and I didn't. Um, I didn't have any closure on that because I, I wasn't there. I didn't experience any of that. And uh, that experience haunted me for years and years and years, still does, that I didn't have the opportunity to go when I needed to go. And the thing that's amazing to me about, about a, a lifestyle where you have time freedom and the money to move is when you need to move, you move. When you need to go and you need to take people with you and stay for as long as you need to go, you do that. 
because you say so you because because you have that ability to do it if you need to stay there and take care of people and, and cancel tickets and change them you know over to somewhere else it's not about boats and planes and automobiles and 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 lifestyle it's about the freedom of movement to to go when you need to go and the freedom to stay when you need to stay as long as you need to stay and no job no boss no person is going to say that you can't you have that freedom and that's that's a powerful thing and i i vowed to myself after that happened i would never put myself in a situation ever again where i didn't have the power to move and and go and be you know be at the funeral be at the wedding be at the at the um graduation be at the important things in people's lives and take anybody and everybody with me that i needed to take wow what a powerful motivator to a young husband and father that this is the reason I want to be successful is because I want to have important time to connect with people when they need me. Right. It was like you wanted to be God's light to the world. Yeah. You wanted yeah. to help others when they needed help. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes we're, we block, we get blocked because we're not we're not in a situation where we can. And sometimes we, we take privileges that we don't earn. Like we're, 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 you know, putting things on credit cards that we shouldn't mm. <laughs> because we're, we're just not there. We're not in a position where we, we have the freedom to, to bless other people's lives. It's kind of like when somebody is receiving charity from someone else and then they're spending all their days serving people, but, but they're not taking care of their own household. Um, you know, you have to get yourself, you, you have to be personally self-sufficient first before you can reach out to other people. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, God-given principle. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's a powerful motivator when you realize that that freedom can be taken away from you because you don't have the means to go when you need to go. Wow. That is such good advice to think about. And, and it, I had a really interesting week this last week where, where I didn't accomplish some of the things on my to-do list, but I accomplished, when I sat down and reviewed my week and I was kind of down on myself, well, you didn't get these things done. God prompted me. He said, write down what you did get done. Yeah. And I wrote it down and I found that it was, it was, I went to a doctor's appointment with one of my children. I went to this with a couple of my other children. I went on a date with my husband. And so the things that I was accomplishing were things that are more important. Right. They're those relationship based yeah, yeah, yeah. quote unquote things, right. Yeah. That it wasn't just something to do on the checklist but it was these connections that really yeah. matter you know well that's what they they say you know all the, the the success gurus say they say before you go to bed at night you make a list of the top priorities in your life or the most important things in your life um you know absolute most important things for your for your life your business your relationships you just list them in order and then you, you hit the first thing first, the second thing second, you go through that list. And when you get to the, you know, the sixth thing and all of a sudden your day is gone and you haven't done it, they say, you know, they say procrastinate that. That's the thing <laughs> you procrastinate because you, you've done well. And the thing is, you don't go to the sixth thing the next day, you make the new list and you hit it from the top again. You may never get to the sixth thing. 
And that's mm-hmm. okay because that's that's how you have success. And if if you're putting the most important things for your for what you consider as success in your life first, first things first, you'll never fail. Mm-hmm. You'll because never you're fail. you're living life in the right order, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. It's kind of like you know that you've seen the analogy where they put the rocks in the in the you know the jars and yes. the sand and the gravel. It's that kind of thing. It's you're putting those big rocks in. And sometimes you don't get to the small stuff. Yeah. But but as long as you're getting the right things done, the big That's stuff. Right. Big stuff first. Big stuff first. All the other stuff. T- typically, all the other stuff will work out its way in and out uh, properly if you get the big things in there first. Such wise wisdom. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to have Darren on the show is because he's been through some really challenging times. Darren, why don't you talk to us about adversity and some of the adversities you have encountered in your life and how they have changed you and blessed you at the same time? The one thing I've learned about adversity is it's not something that you're you're supposed to avoid or try to get over or under. It, you, you go through it to become who you're who who God needs you to be. And you go through it to become who you were meant to be. That's what life is all about is, is the hardships that we, we have and the, um, and the person we become through the process of dealing with those hardships. Mm-hmm. So with that said, what are my hardships? <laughs> um, first of all, uh, I'm going to share with you some of my, my financial hardships, um, my physical hardships, and my emotional hardships. Okay. And I'm going to be pretty vulnerable Um, I started out in my adult life um, with a dream that I wanted to be, I I wanted to have an above average income and I wanted to have a a better than average lifestyle. I wanted to travel. I wanted to have time freedom. And I saw people around me doing that, but I didn't know how to do it. And I saw people, even if, as I got into my mid-20s, who were doing that, who were having this incredible success. And, and I thought to myself, you know, some of them were younger than me. And I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. But how come I'm not doing it? You know, what, what, what is it? What's the secret? And um, I, I really struggled for an, about three or four years to try to figure out how to, um, how to live and an unorthodox life, how to make money through an unorthodox career. And the, the adversity that you go through is mainly the people telling you, you can't do it. Right. <laughs> um, you're, you're, you know, the people around you that don't believe in it, the people who are traditionalists who, who, you know, want you to work a regular job, your parents, my mom saying, you know, why don't you just get a regular job? And I'm saying, you know, you know, she says, go to college, get a, jo- get, get a degree and get a regular job. So you, you have something to fall back on if this other thing doesn't work out. And, um, and I'm saying to myself and to her, if I go to college and get a degree um, and, and have something to fall back on, I'm going to fall back. If you have something to fall back on, you're going to fall back. So um, I kind of had this attitude of, I'm not going to have plan B. I'm just going to have plan A and I'm going to work it until it works. And <laughs> so that's what I, I did. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I just plan A, plan A. And, and, um, 
you know, or you could call it plan A, B, C, D, E, you know, just keep going. But it's, it was always plan A for me from, from college age on, you know, I bailed out of college about the first year and I just decided I was going to be an entrepreneur. I was going to be in direct sales. I was going to make money through marketing independent uh, distributorships uh, uh, through network marketing. And um, yeah, I really struggled. I struggled with that for several years. And something magic happened at some point where, um, you know, the struggle, um, I, I guess God said, you struggled enough <laughs> and he threw me a bone. And, and when you find your first little success, you realize it worked mm. and, and, and it gives you so much hope and so much determination and so much excitement that you just push through to go to the next level, and the next level. Um, and, you know, I could go on forever about all the heartaches and pains and things you go through to get there. But the, the, the bottom line is, if you, if you just commit to yourself when you're failing in life to just get up every time you fail, just get up, brush yourself off and keep going. I, I do this analogy I can't do right here uh, right, because we're not in front of an audience, but I do this thing where I do failing forward. I'm, I'm really good. Uh, at, at taking a fall, like falling on stage, falling off a step. Uh, mm -hmm. The other day I fell down three flights of stairs or three, three steps, uh, oh. you know, not three flights of stairs, three steps. Cause I forgot they were there <laughs> and, oh, no. and, and landed it on my back looking up and, and I'm still, you know, I'm a little bruised, but I feel pretty good. I, I mean, I take a fall well. And so I demonstrate that on stage. I fall down, I get up, I fall down, I get up and I do that like eight times. <laughs> Everybody's like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> and, and by the time I finish my last fall, I'm all the way across the room. And so I'm like, I'm falling and failing forward. But when I get up, I'm about three feet farther because I, you know, I'm a tall guy. And, uh, and so that's how I've, I've made it. I, I failed my way to success. And um, it, uh, it's amazing because the first time I did that, I, I, I tried seven different distributorships in, a, in an industry called network marketing, direct sales, multi-level marketing. I, I failed in every one of them until the seventh one. It took me seven tries to get it right. And on that seventh one, I had tremendous success. Then I failed a bunch more on the next try and, and found another one. And on that next, you know, the, that last try, I had tremendous success again. And then I did it a third time. So I, I have had three different major successes in my career and probably um, three times four. So 12, I've had 12 major, just um, absolute failures, just total failures. And so I, I my average is one in four. That's every not bad, actually. Yeah, I've tried to business. <laughs> every time I, I put my heart and soul into a business opportunity, I've, I've succeeded one in four times. And it's that fourth time that they'll get you. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I just, I realized, and, and one of the things that helped me with that career, um, I got to the point where I'd failed so many times and I, I had looked at all the criteria for success that I said, okay, I'm not going to pick another direct sales company, a distributorship until I've looked at every other company, because if you want to get into the best, you got to look at all the rest. And mm -hmm. so I, I looked at over 200 different home days distributorships. That was one of my problems as I I'd get into, you know, if anybody's ever gotten into a home-based business, um, usually it's because you go to a business opportunity meeting and they just pitch you on this amazing thing. And, and the thing, the thing you got to realize is that the opportunity is probably not quite as good 
as what they're pitching because right. that's you know that there's that story i don't know if you've ever heard this before but um a man goes to um he goes to the pearly gates he dies and goes to the pearly gates and saint peter says okay here's the deal i can let you in to heaven right now but i have a policy i need to show you the other place to make sure that you're making the right choice and so he goes okay well let's get in the elevator and they go down 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 open it up they're in hell and they look around and everybody's dancing singing eating some good food live band you know it's, it's it looks pretty good and um and so he goes well um you're sure you know this looks good and he goes well let's get back in the elevator and let's have a discussion so he gets back in the elevator doors close um he says so um yeah i i, I like the billowy clouds and the angelic music in heaven and everything but if i had to choose right now I think I'd choose this place. I like, I like the live jazz. You know, I like the <laughs> dancing. I like the foods are great. The people look really interesting. And so he goes, okay, that final choice. Yes. He goes, okay. So he opens the, the doors. He steps out doors closed. And all of a sudden everybody's screaming. There's, there's fire and brimstone. People are panicking. There are people running around, you know, it's, it's, you know, these, these demons are poking people with their sticks and saying, get back in the cage, get back in the cage. And like, what happened? What happened? He goes, oh, were you just here a few minutes ago? Yeah, we were at the opportunity meeting for the, you know, for hell. Um, this is, this is reality. Mm. <laughs> so, so that's, that whole story kind of um, encompasses what some people see at these distributorship opportunity meetings. They go there, they see the best of the best, but they don't realize all the, the hell that they have to go through <laughs> to get to, um, you know, to get to their success. Um, and, and so I, I went through the process of, of breaking down and looking behind the curtain on 200 companies and, wow. and I narrowed it down to five and, um, and then I chose one. And when I chose that company, that was the company that I, I became uh, connected with Robert, Robert Allen uh, you know, who is Rick, Rich Ball Evans, uh, business partner for a while. And, uh, and that's how I ended up meeting Richard through, through another connection that way through Robert Allen. But, um, that one company, I, I got involved with that company and sure enough, over the next two, three years, I, I rose to the top of the company. I had my, my first really successful opportunity uh, you know, where I, I went through the roof with my income, I, I went full time, I, I made a six figure income after that. And then I, I became, uh, you know, a top leader in that company. Um, but the interesting thing is, of all the companies that I, I looked at, those five that I chose that I could have joined, all five are still in business today. Wow. So and that was 1994. Wow. I got involved in 1994 with this company, this particular company. I worked it till 1998 as an independent distributor and I quit because there's stuff going on and I, I stopped, I stopped building anyway. I kept the distributorship. I stopped building, stopped actively participating in 1998. I still to this day get a weekly check and all I have to do is, is buy a couple hundred dollars worth of product. I get a weekly check, uh, you know, 20 years later. So, so perhaps um, the, yeah. the, the, one of the lessons then there is to, when you're setting a goal or looking to do something, make sure you do your research. Right. That's right. Because and, it and really so I, pays yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and here's what's interesting about that. So that adversity 
led me to my success, but it also led me to uh, just heaps of success because my, my friends all said, hey, you've done all this research on these 200 companies. You ought to write a book. You know, you ought to write a book. And Robert Allen was uh, at the time encouraged people to write books. And Rich Paul Evans always talking about people writing books. And so, but I, I had friends tell me, write a book. And so I did all this research. I put it into a book over the next few years. And by 1998, I had published my first little booklet called How to Select a Network Marketing Company. Mm. And then I, I did a second edition a few years later, third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition. Now it's, you know, 2000 and it's coming up on 2021. It's in its seventh revision. Oh my it's going to be fine. I'm not going to ever revise it again after this because I'm so sick of revising this book. <laughs> but I sold, I sold over 50,000 copies of the book in seven countries in three different languages. Amazing. And what is great about this book, see, the whole idea of writing a book called How to Select a Network Marketing Company was that I wanted people to, um, to think of me as the go-to person if they're looking for a company. Mm-hmm. And so what it became was a recruiting funnel. People came to me all the time saying, oh, Dar- Darren knows which company is the best. And so I, they come to me and I just have them join my company. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't feel bad about that because, you know, people say, well, are you object? But the thing you got to realize is I looked at all the companies and chose this one. As a matter of fact, for a while, I created this binder. It was called uh, the good, bad. Uh, it was called working smarter, not harder the good, bad, and the ugly of all the companies in direct sales. And, and basically what it was is a manual of every single company, like a hundred companies profiles, corporate management team, compensation plan, product line, you know, everything oh there's to know the good and the bad and the ugly. And that's how I organize. <laughs> like it'd be Herbalife and it would be the good. This is why I love it. The bad the ugly. And the yeah, ugly that's fun, awesome. <laughs> and so that way they go through and it's like objective. And I was also, I did the good, bad, and the ugly of the company that I was involved with. I said, here's the good, here's the bad, here's the ugly part that I don't like, but it's so much better than the ugly parts of all these other, you know, companies. Yeah. So, so I was very objective about it and that really served my career well. Um, and that's kind of how I got over those first years. And then eventually went on built another business with a, 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 a network marketing company where I, I became the top 20 distributor uh, out of a million distributors, me and, me and a couple of my, my buddies. And then in 2009, November 2009, uh, I started a direct sales company with three uh, of my, my network marketing distributor partners. And uh, that's what I've done to this day. So we're 11 years old in November, on November 6th. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's been a a wild ride. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So business successes and failures, the the biggest lesson is just keep going, do your research before you join any company or go after it. Right. (laughs) And I will say one more thing about the business piece. Um, Please never join a company. You don't, you don't pick companies. Um, you, you choose people. You don't choose organizations. You, you choose the people behind the organizations. You look for people. Uh, it's always people. And, and this next part is all about people as well. It's about people um, that you can rely on and count on. It is so important to have good people that you can rely on and count on at any point in life. And so I know that these financial challenges were not the only challenges you faced in your life. Before we dive into the physical 
challenges and diagnosis you received. Let's take a quick break, but when we get back, would you mind telling us about that and how those physical challenges taught you even more? You bet. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm talking to Darren Falter, who is an author, entrepreneur, adventurer, speaker, and trainer. And we've been talking about financial hardships and an important lesson he learned when he was a very young married. And now we're on to physical challenges because Darren has had quite a challenging road, and yet he hasn't let it keep him down. Darren, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? You bet. So, um, as I was building my, my, the company that I own is, is called Yoli, yoli.com, Y-O-L-I. And as I was building Yoli, um, I started having some physical issues. Uh, I started having some issues with my breathing. Um, I had this, this uh, pneumonia for a while, got over it, but I just couldn't get back to feeling like I was 100% and my breathing was off. I, I, I was wheezing a lot thought maybe I got asthma. So I go into the pulmonologist and he does a, a few testing us. You have a paralyzed diaphragm on the left side. So my left diaphragm is completely paralyzed. Uh, it does the left, the left lung lobe is completely, you know, healthy, healthy lung tissue, but it doesn't pull down to fill there like a normal lung. So it just sits there without any activity. The right lung does all the work. And so I, he says, there's really nothing you can do about it. Just, you know, live your life and, you know, exercise. And so I was a mountaineer, you know, I, from, from my whole life, I've been backpacking and hiking and around 40 years old, right. When I was starting with my Yoli business, uh, I started climbing mountains with my, my climbing buddy. And uh, we climbed a lot of mountains and, uh, in mostly in the Pacific Northwest Washington area. And, uh, all of a sudden it was really hard to do because I couldn't breathe at altitude. And, and so I, I trained for a whole year because we had this goal of, of climbing Mount Rainier. And one day we wanted to climb Mount Rainier. Uh, and, um, and it took me a year, but in a year af after a year of training hard on the stair machine and running and doing all these things, I, I didn't notice my lung anymore. I, I think I built built up this mega lung on the right side. <laughs> the mega lung. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So so that kind of went away, and then um, all of a sudden, you know, it's still hard to do, but 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 I, I compensated for it. Um, 
And then all of a sudden I started having these issues with my gait, walking, like, like I had trouble uh, keeping a rhythm. Uh, my left leg wanted to drag all the time, drag my foot. I, I had a funny kind of a stance. My left arm always wanted to come up and hang here instead of swinging freely. It just came up and got really stiff. I had this thing called frozen shoulder for a while. Um, I was starting to have a little bit of tremors. And, um, and I just didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe I had a stroke that I didn't know about. Mm. So I went into the neurologist and um, he was nervous to diagnose me. I think he knew what it was, but mm. he didn't want to say, the, say what it was. So he sent me up to the University of Washington to a, a specialist up there. And the guy looked at me. He didn't even do any tests or anything. He didn't do any like, like taking any fluids out or doing any kind of brain scan. He just watched me. He said, you've got Parkinson's. Really? Yeah. He just, it's, it's observational. And, and I said, wow, that's pretty amazing, doc. You're just, you're just looking at me, you watch me walk. You got Parkinson's. Like, that's, that's a bold statement. Yeah. And, and so then I got a list of the symptoms. He goes, here's your symptoms. And I, I looked at, I said, I could have diagnosed myself. I got all of those things. <laughs> and, and um, you know, it was kind of a shocker, but it was also, um, it was good to know because then I knew what to do about it, you know, because I, I, I didn't know how many treatment and it got worse and worse and worse. And it started getting to the point where I was having trouble walking in stores and carrying things and uh, my balance was off. Uh, I was having trouble climbing. I couldn't climb. And so as soon as I started getting treatment and, and taking medications and, and the nutritional supplements and the diet that I was referred to, um, I, I had a lot of improvement. Wow. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it was a challenge. And, you know, the funny things about it, I, I tease all the time. That one of the things I, like when I'm in a group of people, this is pre COVID <laughs> um, I'm in a group of people and uh, if somebody bumps me on the arm or, or bumps me while I'm walking or, or when I'm standing, I'll, I'll, I'll I can tip over or I, I, I take a step because I, I don't have very good balance, mm -hmm. which is not great for a mountaineer. No. Um, <laughs> and so I, I would say, you know, um, you know, if I, if I, if I reach out and grab you on the way down, I take no pleasure in it. It's just the survival technique. And I, and I always, <laughs> I always get people laughing at that, you know, cause I'm, I'm always falling and trying to reach out to grab somebody on the shoulders or whatever, their arms like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I noticed that, um, there's a thing called restless leg. That's really a, a challenge with Parkinson's. Um, it, it sometimes causes me to be claustrophobic in small places. I, I can't move my legs. I can't stretch them out. And so I, I get claustrophobic. I get anxiety, like on an airplane sometimes. One time I was sitting at the bulkhead in first class and, and I couldn't stretch my leg out. And so I got panicky and I stood up real fast, smashed my head on the top, you know, because oh, no. I'm tall. And, and, and it was just like this vicious cycle of problems. And, and this, the stewardess uh, saw I was in distress. She says, are you okay? And I said, could I move to a non <laughs> you know, a non-bulkhead seat. And it took care of the problem. But restless leg is is a big issue with Parkinson's, tremors, um, this the stability issue, the um, this just chronic fatigue. You're always so tired and you have to take naps. But um Do they know what thing, causes Parkinson's, Darren? It's it's the lack of dopamine naturally produced in the brain. It causes you to uh, to not have enough dopamine. And so you can supplement with that. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Awakening uh, with Awakenings with uh, Robert uh, De Niro and Robin Williams. 
But I have heard of it, but yeah. I have never seen it. That's your next movie, by the way. That's okay. That's movie. <laughs> now, these people had a special type of Parkinson's. It was um, it was another disease based on a child. They had a, all had a childhood disease uh, that they overcame, and then or, or actually were hit by hard, and then in their later life they had Parkinson's combined. And so it was this thing where they're sitting and they're comatose. They're, they're sitting there not doing anything in a in like a wheelchair they throw a tennis ball and they catch it. Oh, wow. Like, like they haven't moved for, for, for days, for weeks, for months. And they throw a tennis ball and they catch it and they go, oh, something's going on here. And so then they started experimenting with this dopamine drug like we take for Parkinson's. And all of a sudden they just become awake again. They, they, they become alive. They, they don't have any symptoms. Wow. People that haven't talked to their loved ones in 30 years, you know. Um, when I get dopamine in my system, all of a sudden I seem pretty normal and and I get the right amounts and the right combination. And then when it weans off, you know, the other day I was in the store and it kind of weaned off and I got stuck. I was, I was just like hopping to try to get the checkout standards. Like what's wrong with this guy? Is he going to attack us or whatever? People look at you funny, you know, but um, so, so they are doing experiments with, with new drugs and new testing and the little implants that you put in the brain stem called, called uh, um, deep brain stimulation. So there's a lot of different things on the horizon. Even uh, the inventor of Tesla, um, what's his name? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Elon Musk has a little chip he's been playing around with, in, inserting into pig brains, and they're responding to it. So I, I, I'm going to get the little pig brain chip one of these days, and hopefully <laughs> <laughs> do, do some amazing things. But I will say it's a, it's a real challenge with Parkinson's. But the thing that has taught me, I, I, I kind of feel like if God came down and said, Darren, I'm going to take away your Parkinson's, but I'm also going to take away the things that I gave you in exchange for that. And I would say, you know what? No, I'm good. Uh, because the, the, a couple of things that is, is blessed me with is number one, it's given me a tremendous sense of, of uh, compassion for people. I can sit down with somebody, they see that I'm tremoring, they see I'm having some problems. And, and when, you, when you are vulnerable like that and you talk about your disease, people come up and they, they say things to you they never would have sold to anybody else because they become vulnerable. They, they, they let their guard down and they um, become absolutely, um, it becomes a, um, a gift to be able to connect with people instantly, instantaneous connection. It's like a superpower. Yes. And I don't want that to go away. So I, so I love that. The other thing it's given me a gift of is I, I think of my life now in, in, a, in a, a way that it, it, it's, it's sped up. Like everything I do it has a sense of urgency that I have never had before. I've gotten more done in the last year than I've gotten done in the last five years because I know I may not be able to do some things in my later life that I plan to do. And so my bucket list has gone, <laughs> you know, where to I the most important things, right? Yeah, Put it to the front. Yeah. So that's huge. I, I've been, I've been condensing and, and speeding up my bucket list. And uh, it, it gives you a whole new perspective on life. It gives you a whole new outlook. And everybody I've talked to who is proactive with their disease, who's, who's active, who, who wants to make something of their life and do something remarkable with their life, they've said the same thing. They said it's, it's, like, um, it's like a huge gift. You know, mm-hmm. Richard Paul Evans talks about his Tret syndrome as a gift. It was a gift. Um, he, he, he didn't feel that way when he was a little boy, when he was getting teased and, and bullied. 
but now he realizes that it was one of the greatest things that ever happened. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting. You say that you talked about that instant connection with people and I have found that to be true as well. Having kids on the autism spectrum, people Mm -hmm. that I don't know very well, they see me with my kids, they'll come up and they'll tell me all about their challenges as well. And I think it's just nice to know hey, that person has problems. They'll get it when I tell them about my problems, right? That's right. So I think I think that's part of what it is, is yeah. we want to feel understood. And when we see somebody else having struggles and challenges, um, it, it, it does, it almost gives you permission yeah. To, yeah. to share that. Yeah, <laughs> I had people coming up to me at a, at a conference I was at. I was speaking in front of like 3,000 people and I told my story about Parkinson's. This lady came up to me afterwards. She said, you know, I have MS but I haven't told anybody for, I, I've had it for two years. I diagnosed two years ago. I haven't told my own family. I haven't told my own kids um, about it and I'm ready to tell them now. And I think, wow, you know, that's, that's big. Cause it, it is, it is something that's, you know, disease is considered um, by a lot of society, sh- you know, somewhat shameful or uh, to some people, it feels like you're, you're less of a person you're scared that you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your, um, your, you know, yeah, I, I had somebody in my company since it's a health company, the, the company Yoli is, is nutritional supplements mm-hmm. and we're all about wellness and health and living healthy lifestyles. And there's a woman who got cancer who was a distributor and she, she dealt with it, uh, in natural ways. She, she had complete 100% remission after a number of years, hundred wow. percent, but in the process of so the process of going through it, you know, she did do some chemotherapy and some radiation and stuff, lost her hair. She says, I thought I was going to get kicked out. You know, the company. <laughs> you know they're going to kick me out because, you know, I'm not a very good spokesperson if I'm promoting nutritional products and I got cancer, you know? And so, and she ball about that. And I thought, Oh my goodness, you know, nothing could be further from the truth, but you, you feel that way. If it's happening to you, you feel you're going to get kicked out. You know, I, I've got Parkinson's, you know, my Yoli products are not a cure for Parkinson's, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, they, they help manage it, but um, I didn't want to get kicked out of my own company, you know, my health company. <laughs> and, and you get those insecurities happening when you, when you get a disease. And, and so people a lot of times don't want to talk about it, but I've, I've, from the very beginning, I've always felt very comfortable talking about it. And, um, I volunteer that information almost immediately with people. It helps them to understand why I behave the way I do, you know, I've got some, you know, some funny movements and why I walk funny. Yeah. But one of the things I love about you, Darren, is that you have not let this challenge stop you or slow you down. Um, would you mind telling me a little bit about Mount Rainier and yeah, why it's yeah. been calling to your whole life and yeah. what you decided to do about that, even with Parkinson's? <laughs> well, I am. Mount Rainier has been calling to me my whole life because I live right by it. Like every, every time I leave my neighborhood, there it is. It's just looking at you. It's like, and, and my dad was a mountaineer. You know, he, he climbed some mountains earlier in his life not a huge mountaineer, but he, he, he did climb some mountains. He climbed Mount St. Helens before it blew, before the wow. top blew off. And he climbed parts of Rainier, didn't, didn't summit, but he, he climbed other mountains too. And um, I always was really interested in, in climbing Rainier. I thought, you know, it's a big challenge. It's a big mountain. 
But um, I kind of chose that a little late because my diagnosis for Parkinson's had, you know, happened and it was like three years later. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to do this. I've got the lung issue. I've got the Parkinson's issue, but I think I can do this. So me and my buddy signed up for a, cl a climb with some, some guides on, on Rainier. And uh, it was on the Emmons side up, up the Emmons Glacier. Um, they require on that particular route to carry 55 to 60 pound packs because you got to get a bunch of gear up to the main camp. And then you, from there you summit. Um, that alone, I mean, if you've ever put a 60 pound pack on your back and done stairs, it is the absolute worst workout in the history of workouts. I mean, if you're not, if you're not puking within 10 minutes, there's something wrong. I mean, it's just, hor it's worse than any boot camp I've ever done. Those stair machines are crazy, but, um, but that's what I had to do. I had to get to the point where I could do two hours on the stair machine with a 60 pound pack. And then I thought I was ready. So wow. I, I, I go on this climb. I got up to Camp Sherman. We spent the night there. You get up at, at midnight basically and start your summit bit in the dark. And I got up about halfway to my summit. Um, and I was, I was crossing this very narrow ridge uh, that was kind of a, a, a pinnacle you know, you're crossing and everybody's doing really well. They're just stepping in the steps behind, you know, the person in front of them. But I was, uh, I had my ice axe, which is supposed to give you stability against the side of the hill in my left hand, which is my, my Parkinson's affected hand, very, very um, low coordination. If I could have just reached over with my right hand and done it the, the, you know, awkward way, I would have been just fine, but they wouldn't let you do it. The guide said, you got to do it this way. And I am, um, and I was, so I was, I was kind of waffling a little bit and they're like, you cannot fall here. This is a do not fall zone. And they were really adamant about that. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to fall, but I got Parkinson's. And so I've got, and, and say, so they saw me wobble two, three, four times. They said, that's it. We're turning this guy around. Oh, and I no. said, come on, just give me a chance, you know, and, and they wouldn't. So they turned me around and sent me back down with the guide. And, and so I just got down, down and I thought, you know, I, I did everything I could to train for this climb and, and I just, I don't think I can do it. You know, I, I, my body's not going to allow me to do this. I, I have the will, I have the fitness, uh, I have the determination. I just don't have this, the, the balance. So I sat there, kind of shed some tears there in my camp tent, uh, looking out at the mountains through my opening, my, my, my tent. And, and then I, you know, I just decided, you know what, there's, there's gotta be a way. So I went and talked to the guy that brought me down. He said, you know what you need to do is train up again next year and go up the other side of the mountain. It's a lot easier. It doesn't have this, this, these narrow gaps and precipices and, and crevasses across on ladders and things. It's an easier climb on summit day. That's what you need to do is on summit day. And, um, and just, you know, see if you can maybe get some, some help with your guy, just let them know your situation ahead of time. So what I decided to do is I, I put together my own team of people that I knew from my company and from my friends to make sure that, um, that everybody was in on it. Like they knew my situation. So everybody was okay. If we went a little slower or had to take one part of the section of the trail, a little, a little slower. And so we did our first team Yoli summit team and, uh, and you know, basically got up there to this about the same place, about a thousand feet higher than I did the year before. Same thing happened. I, I got to the point where I was, I was just walking in a very, it was, it was very windy that year. And I was walking a very narrow footpath and I was just stumbling um, too much because, you know, my Parkinson's. 
And I turned myself around. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm putting the rope team in danger and um, I'm just going to turn myself around. So I, I did that. And lo and behold, my whole group about a, about an hour later turned the whole group around because the winds got to the point where they were 50, 60, 70 mile per hour winds up there before the summit. Wow. And when we were walking out that day, we were hit with 80 mile per hour gusts. One of my guides had been up Everest twice said I, he'd never been hit with anything that hard. There's little bits of sand that hit you in the face and it feels like BB guns shooting you in the face, you know, oh little red marks, little, <laughs> little red marks. So it was, it was a crazy year. Everybody, nobody summited in the whole team. Lots of failures on the summit days for, for that day uh, of on the whole mountain. So that was number two, strike two. <laughs> and both those year I, I trained the first year, you know, 30,000 feet of of real mountains to climb. That's like going up Mount Everest three times and back, uh, you know, to, to, to climb. The next year I did 50,000 feet of real, real climbing. That's like going up and down Everest five times. So the third year I said, I'm going to do this. So I did 100,000 feet of real climbing to get oh ready for that gosh. climb, which was 17 different climbs. Um, all, all equaling about, you know, 10 times up and down from base camp Everest to the top and back. That's the equivalent, you know, the, the difference between Everest and Mount Rainier is that the base camp of Everest is 3000 feet above the summit of Rainier. That's the wow. base camp. That's where you start from. So it's, it's just a higher elevation, right? Right. But it's the same distance. Um, so, um, so I, I trained up, put together my Yoli team and, and this time, for whatever reason, the, the, the weather cooperated, my body cooperated. And, and it was funny because I got up near the summit and, and I didn't know I was near the summit because they don't tell you. I, I think it's a psychological thing. They <laughs> tell you, keep going, got another push, got another push. Here's a 10 minute break. Get your stuff on. We're going for another push. And I, I get up and, and all of a sudden, um, one of the guides is on his knee taking pictures. And, and I thought, well, that's weird. You know, he's never taken pictures this whole whole trip and um and and as i walk past him i realize there's no more mountain it just goes down into a crater and i realized i'm, I'm there and <laughs> sorry i uh i started bawling my eyes out I, you, you couldn't tell because i had my um goggles on and <laughs> had all this you know headgear on and my helmet but yeah i, I pretty much couldn't talk and me and my buddy who had been trying to do this for years, we walked through that summit cone together. You, you walk across the top of the, the, the um, it's a crater, it's a volcanic crater. And then there's an actual summit at the far end that you walk up another couple hundred vertical feet and then you take your picture and you're there. And we did that and um, it was just surreal because um, I still couldn't believe it. And then walking down was just like skipping. I mean, I, 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 the one thing about climbing with me, you, people always say, oh, the climb down is just as hard as the climb up. It's not, not for me. I, I can run down mountains. I'm so good at going down. It's uphill that, that gives me a hard time with Parkinson's. Um, so going down was a breeze. You, you, you climb all the way to the base of the mountain and go out that day and go home. So it's, it's a long day. It's like a, you know, 20 hour day or something, but, Gosh. um, Oh, I, I was just on cloud nine. I didn't even feel it. And, um, and then here's the, the interesting thing. The next year I went up Rainier again and failed again, <laughs> <laughs> but this time I had a whole group of teammates 
um, three of which had never summited. Um, my, my two sons who trained with me all year to go and my climbing partner, Katie Johnner, who, who had tried several times and didn't make it. And my climbing buddy, Grant Dries, who had climbed with me all the time, they all, they all summited and a few of the only distributors summited. And, um, and so I felt good about that. I got up to a certain point and my body just stopped wanting to move. Like I couldn't take another step. It just wouldn't function, but I was all smiles. You know, I, I had no regrets. And, um, and that was my ratio. You know, I remember in business every, every four times I try and get one. <laughs> yes. I, I had to keep that ratio. So that was, there the, you go. <laughs> <laughs> four so, attempts, so, one summit. <laughs> yeah. So let, let me ask you this. What have you learned from failing? What is the biggest lesson or the biggest lessons that you have learned from trying and failing? What, 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 if, what could you share with us? I, I guess the, the easiest thing that I learned is just so simple is that um, just keep getting up. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing that can stop somebody who won't stop um, after failure. You just, you just get up every time you fall down and you learn something. And you just can't get discouraged about it. Um, I, I almost quit, and, and I wouldn't have had that summit. I wouldn't have had that experience. But I, I just decided, you know what? Um, I made a big deal about it the second year, and all these Yoli people were pulling for me. Oh, he's going to summit. Yeah, this is going to be great. We're going to, you know. I, and then I didn't, and like, and I just stopped talking about it because I was so disappointed in myself and so so upset I didn't make it. And I thought, well all I got to do is train and do it in the next year, you know? And, and when, when you finally do succeed, all the losses, all the failures just slip away. Like, like it was like they never happened, but you're never going to get to that unless you keep trying. You got to keep pushing for it. Keep trying. I've never met anybody in my career, in my industry that hasn't ultimately succeeded in the end. If they just kept trying, you know, like for 10 years, just keep trying, stick with one company, keep trying for 10 years. I've never met anybody who didn't ultimately summit their mountain, the, the mountain they wanted to climb if they just kept trying every year. It, it, it happens. It just, it's just going to take more time. So. That is awesome. So let me ask you, you've obviously been very, very successful at setting goals. And here as we approach 2021, what advice would you give to someone who is perhaps wanting to tackle a big goal. How, how do you obtain that, Darren? You've, you've seemed to have really uh, figured out a pattern that works for you. How would you break that down for other people who are desiring to set goals? Yeah, so, really so there's a key to that. The, what I do, so goals are great, and I like to write them down and post them like everybody else does. Um, you know, written goals are, are important, but I do something that's even more powerful than that. And, and I call it visualization, you know, visualizing very specifically, very concretely, exactly what you want to accomplish. If it's summiting a mountain, you're, you're, you're seeing yourself doing it real time, walking over the crest of that, that cone, getting into that inner crater, taking pictures with your buddies, um, maybe doing a blog, a vlog from the top or something. <laughs> but I mean, whatever it is that, 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 whatever that summit looks like to you, um, you, you visualize that over and over as if it's already happened. It's happening now or it's already happened. You are, uh, uh, you have summited Mount Rainier. You have, you are a mountain climber. You are successful in your, in your pursuits. Um, if it means 
becoming a, a Yoli diamond, you know, that's one of the designations of the leaders in our company. You sleep, breathe, drink, eat, you know, when, when you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth like a diamond. <laughs> you have your breakfast like a diamond. You drive your car to work like a diamond. And, and maybe it's, you know, maybe you're confused because where's my Mercedes Benz? You know, what's this, two, <laughs> what's this two-tone, uh, what, what's, what's a, 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 a car I used to drive? I think I used to have a, um, like a Honda Civic that was like 30 years old. And, and I call it two-tone. It was rust and blue. <laughs> and, uh, and like a spiderweb crack across the front, you know, that I never could fix. One of the doors I joke about uh, when I when I first was um, a young adult, it, the door would actually fly open when you go around its corner, and so you'd have to say, "Hey, hey, grab that door!" You know, it's the it's the passenger door, and and then link arms, you know, so it doesn't. Oh fly my open gosh, Darren, that's so but, funny. You know, I mean, that's where you start, <laughs> and uh, so. You know, I, I think that the key the key to all this is that you have to really focus in on on visualizing specifically what you want and getting it into your heart. Because I mean, a written goal is great, but when you can visualize, like you know, Robert talked about a lot of times. Robert Allen talked about visualizing your dream home, and and, and when you create a dream home, you have to know every single detail of that home or somebody else is going to choose for you. And if you're okay with that, that's great. But if you don't have the details of every single aspect of that dream home you're building, then somebody else is going to decide it. So you you put it down. What you know, if you're if you're doing a financial goal, what kind of car are you going to drive when you're financially successful? Go down and test drive that car. Go sit in it, get a feel for what the leather smells like, what the steering wheel feels like. Visualize yourself in that and and what will happen is that vision that you have in your mind is like a magnet to your goal. I mean, it pulls you every day, you know, subconsciously to the people and the circumstances and the opportunities that will bless your life and get you to that goal. It's, it, it's remarkable. I'm sure that you've probably had some experiences like that in your life when you, when you visualize something so specifically and then it just manifests itself in your life. No, that's true. So visualize it. And then obviously you talked about uh, planning to work really hard to get yourself physically fit for that goal. So you're breaking down, okay, if I need to do this, I need to break down, break it down into bite-sized segments. Okay, this month I'm going to do this and then break it down by day. Today I'm going to do this. Is that how you did yeah, that or and, and it was easy to do because kind of like you know with somebody a mountain a, a person who's in shape to summit a mountain doesn't whine about getting on the stair machine with a pack on their back and walking for an hour um because that's what that's what summiters do that's what guides do that's what people who are in great shape do i'm a diamond and so i do the things that diamonds do diamonds don't complain about making you know 100 phone calls a day uh, that's what they do um and and so you just you, you start mirroring the successful behaviors of people that are there already. And, and again, the visualization is not, I'm visualizing this so I can become it. You're, you're visualizing it as if you've already done it to the point where when you achieve, the, the, the downside of doing this is when you achieve that goal, you think, well, of course I'm a diamond. I've been a diamond for a year. <laughs> I'm, I'm, now a, I'm now a blue diamond or I'm now a, a, you know, a, a triple diamond. Um, 
you know, give me, you know, what, what's this diamond award? You know, <laughs> this isn't what I, this is what I am. So you're always like one or two steps ahead of what you're really getting. Um, that's the only downside is that sometimes you're a little disappointed when you, get your goal. <laughs> when you finally get it. <laughs> yeah. And then you finally have to chill out and say, Oh, wait a minute. I'm a real diamond. I'm not just a, a diamond in my mind anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. No, I love that. I love that as you th- it kind of goes back to that that good old book as a man thinketh so is yes. he you know yeah. that if if you believe you can do it you can that's right that's right that's right yeah. so that is that is powerful powerful well now let me ask you a final question before i let you go um were there any bible verses or stories that that inspired you or motivated you or or helped you as you were um, going through your hard times to keep you moving? Well, um, I, I have some favorites. The, the one that comes to mind all the time is in Matthew uh, 5, you know, some part of the Beatitudes. I believe it's um, Matthew 5, 14 or something like that. Um, but it's, uh, you're, you're the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men put a light and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick where it getteth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the, the God, God that, who is in heaven. Um, basically, it's, you know, you're the light of the world. Um, you're an example. You're, I mean, the whole reason that you're on this planet is to do something significant so that you can um, bless the lives of other people. There's, there's a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey, where he talks about the seven habits. And if we have more time, I'd go through all those habits because they're great. But he has another book called The Eighth Habit. And a lot of people don't know about that book because it wasn't quite as popular. But The Eighth Habit is probably the most powerful book of all of them. You, you need to go through the first seven habits first before you do The Eighth Habit. But The Eighth Habit is to find your voice you know, find that, find the reason you were put on this, this earth. And then for the rest of your life, help other people find their voice. Ooh. That's the habit. I love that. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of part of that, you know, let your light so shine. You need to find what your light is, what your specific purpose is. Um, and, and the thing is people worry about it and fuss about it all the time. God doesn't care what you do for a living. I, I believe this is my thought. I, I don't believe that God cares what you do for a living. He doesn't care specifically. You know, a lot of times people like to put words in God's mouth. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to do this. God was, no, no, you can't speak for God. God, God speaks to you in still, still small voice. Um, God wants you to be honest and ethical. He wants you to be loving and servant orient, service oriented. He wants you to do good uh, on your own. Uh, without thought of reward, but he lets you make a lot of your own choices. And as long as you're doing those things and being honest and, and ethical, you got a lot of freedom in what you choose to do. And and you'll run into challenges in any career uh, uh, of trying to stay true to that those those principles and beliefs. Um, but I, I think there's so many things that we can do in this world, so many things that God would approve of, but, but it, it, he doesn't he doesn't force us to do anything. We, we get lots of choices. Um, but I, I'm just so glad that I chose the path that I did because um, I had to be in a career where I had the freedom of schedule, freedom of time. Um, I, I couldn't 
I couldn't work in a cubicle. I couldn't work in a job. I had to do something different. I had to have something where I could, I could, you know, one week I could be working on a charity. Another week I could be writing a book. Another week I'd be traveling. Another week I could be working uh, with, with kids. I want to have the freedom to do whatever I need to do when I need to do it. Mm, that's beautiful. And and you've you've inspired others to follow their dreams as well. So mm-hmm. you're you're applying yeah, that your principle. Your <laughs> oh, well, this has been so fun, Darren. Thank you so much for yes. sharing your wisdom from financial woes to overcoming the obstacles of disease and a huge mountain. Oh my goodness, you're just such an inspiration and helping us realize the importance of setting goals in the right order. This has been so amazing. I really appreciate you taking the well, time to share this with us. thank you for the opportunity. I, I, love, I, I love you. I just absolutely, since I, I met you at these book conferences, I just think you're a, a remarkable person. You have so much energy, so much light for people. You've, you, you have such a giving heart. I just see you, uh, when we're at these conferences, you just want to help people. You want to reach out and, and you know, and then afterwards kind of be mother hen to pull them all together and help them continue <laughs> with their goals. Cause it's not what, it's not what happens at the book conferences it's what happens after, yes. you know, you've got to keep going with it. And so you've inspired so many people to keep going to their dream. And I, I really admire you for that. Oh, well, thank you. You can connect with Darren Falter on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can go to his website, darrenfalter.com and find more out about him or his book, which is on Amazon. Thanks for joining us today. Hope on. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website, It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode you forget. What were those great things? So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember God loves you.